we uh, wrote back in Romans chapter 12, Lord willing, this should be the last message that uh, I'm preaching out of Romans chapter 12, at least uh, uh, for now at least. We've been, of course, the theme behind me uh, on the banner. We've been preaching on that subject out of 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. We've been preaching about faith. We've been preaching about victory. We've been preaching about overcoming. And if there's ever a time where we as Christians need to be living this way, it's now. Amen? And I believe we're nearing the finish line of this thing. And I don't know about you, but hey, uh, when I see my Savior for the first time, I want to know that uh, I've finished strong. Amen? And I've been winning. I've been uh, uh, on the victory side. It doesn't mean we don't have our struggles. Amen? doesn't mean we don't face times of setback, times where we may fail Him. But hey, listen, when we fail, let's get right back up and keep going. Amen? And so we've been preaching on the subject of how to overcome evil. And of course, that comes out of Romans chapter 12. And verse 21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And all of chapter 12 of Romans uh, gives us the practical steps on how to overcome evil. So Lord willing, we'll finish this out today. So if you find your place, stand with me together in reverence of the reading of the Word of God. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 16 and read down through the end of the chapter. The Bible says this, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And then this has been our theme verse. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with Good. Let's pray. Lord, we sure do love you today. We thank you so much for the gathering of your people. Lord, we're thankful for every single person you've allowed to be here today. Now, God, I pray that you'd meet with us, Lord, as we turn our attention now to your word. Holy Spirit of God, we, uh, we want you here. Lord, we invite you into this service. And we pray that you'd be doing the work that uh, we as human beings can, and that's working on the heart. And God, I pray that you would uh, speak, and I pray you'd move. And God, if, as, I, as I always pray, if someone doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they would accept you today before it's too late. Those us that are saved, God. I pray you'd allow the Word of God to help us, to change us, to make us what we ought to be for you. We love you and we thank you now. We give you the praise, glory, and honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week we uh, looked at the previous verses there, and uh, here's what we talked about last week as far as how to overcome evil. We looked at the verse that talked about distributing to the necessity of saints, which means a generous attitude toward God's people. We looked at the principle where it says given to hospitality, which means receiving and entertaining strangers or guests without reward. We talked about persecution and having the right attitude toward that, and then we talked about responding properly to the good and bad times of others. And again, Lord willing, today we're going to look at the last few principles here that will close out uh, the uh, Romans chapter 12 and all the different things that we've been talking about. So let's get right into it today. Let's look at verse 16. Verse 16 is an interesting verse. Uh, we, see the, we see the principle and then we see the practical parts on how to obey the principle. Notice what he says there at the beginning of verse 16, be of the same mind one toward another. And then you see a period there, all right? Be of the same mind one toward another. 
another. Now that, that is referring to the fact of having the proper mindset toward, uh, toward other people. Have the same mind, uh, one to another, one toward another. Here's what it means, alright? Treating people with respect. Amen? Having the same mindset toward one another. It means not having partiality when you treat people. You don't treat this group of people different than you treat this group of people. And it means treating all people with respect. Now just as God always does, He doesn't leave that up to our opinion on what that means. He gives us here the detailed steps and the last part of verse 16 on how to treat people with respect. So let's look at this for a few moments this morning. Look what he says here first of all. Mind not high things. Mind not high things. Let me tell you what that means. It means this. Exercising the mind in a lofty way. Or here's how we would say it. Don't have too high an opinion about yourself. Amen? That's what he says. Don't have uh, too high of an opinion of yourself. Mind not high things. Hey, let me just stop for a few minutes and remind us all of something. Amen? It's only by the grace of God that we are who we are. Amen? It's only by the grace of God that we're saved. By the way, not one of us deserves what God has done for us. Amen to that. By the way, let me say that again. I don't think I got enough amens on that one, all right? Not one of us deserve what God has done for us, amen? Let me tell you, listen, folks, uh, we deserve hell, amen? We, that's what we deserve. And in fact, I say this to the church from time to time. It would be, do us all good to just look ourselves in the mirror and to say, you know what, you rascal, you, you deserve hell, amen? Because that's exactly what we deserve. But hey, aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Aren't you thankful that God has poured His grace and mercy out upon us? Listen, Listen, we don't deserve what God's done for us. We don't deserve the blessings God has bestowed upon us. Listen, if we are anything in this life, it's only by the grace of God. By the way, if you keep that in mind, you know what it will do? It will keep you from having a too high of an opinion of yourself. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, notice what we read here. For I say, through the, uh, through the grace given unto me, to every man uh, that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So how do you mind not, uh, or how do you be of the same mind one toward another? How do you treat people with respect? Well, first of all, don't have too high of an opinion about yourself. But he's not done yet. Look what else he says there in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 16. He says this, but, but condescend to men of low estate. That word condescend, uh, it means to bring low, all right? It means to, uh, how about this, uh, go to those that are cast down. Hey, get down in the trenches and help people, amen? Condescend uh, to men of low estate. Let me tell you a wrong philosophy about a church, okay? Here is a wrong, by the way, satanic philosophy. This is what Satan wants us to think about the church, all right? We're just going to be here in our safe place and let, let God bring to us those who need help. Now, at first you say that, you know, it kind of, it almost, you know, you gotta think about it for a minute. It's almost like, yeah, maybe that's kind of what it is. Until you start reading the Bible and find out that the Bible blows holes in that satanic philosophy. Listen to me, folks. Yes, praise God. We're going to talk about this tonight. The church is a sanctuary. It is a safe place, if you will, where we can come and we can get away from the world and we can be around God's people and sing God's praises and hear the Word of God preached. I'm thankful for the sanctuary of the church. But listen to me. We're not just to sit up here in our high castle, amen, and just let, 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 let people come to us. No, let me tell you what the Bible says. Hey, what did Jesus do, amen? You know what you find what Jesus did? He went to where the need was. He, hey, listen, 
Jesus didn't spend the majority of His time in the temple. Okay? He was there some. Alright? He was there when He was supposed to be there. But let me tell you where He was out. He was out in the highways and the byways helping people. Amen? In fact, why did Jesus come to this earth? Did not, did not just the fact that He came prove that He condescended to men of low estate? Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, Bible says about Christ, but made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let me tell you something, it was a humbling thing for Jesus Christ to come to this earth. That was humbling. I'm talking about the Creator, amen? The Lord of lords, the King of kings, the One who spoke this into existence. And He chose to humble Himself, take upon Himself uh, what, what, what the Bible refers to Him as the Son of Man. Amen? He was 100% God, but yet He become man, yet without sin. And He condescended to where we were at. Amen? Now why did He do that? He did that for us. Amen? He did that, hey, to men of low estate. Because we are people of low estate. Amen? We live below the glory of God is what the Scripture says for us. But you know what? Jesus just didn't do that by coming. He did that all throughout His earthly ministry. He went to where the need was. So, uh, just a few examples. John chapter 4, verse 4, where He went to the, the well there in, 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 uh, right outside of, uh, uh, of Samaria. And remember what it says? And He must needs go through Samaria. Hey, why did Jesus go there? He went there to meet a need, that's why. Because He knew there was going to be a divine appointment with that woman that came from the city out to that well. And by the way, He went out of His way to go there. He went to a place that truth be told was hostile to Him. But you know what? He went to where the need was. He knew there was a need. How about this? I don't think we sing about Him this morning. We usually do during Sunday school. Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Notice what the Scripture says about him. And when Jesus came to the place... He looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with the man that is a sinner. That's the accusation they had about Jesus. Oh, can you believe he's going to be the guest of a sinner? Hey, aren't you glad he's the guest of sinners? Amen? Amen. And by the way, the Bible says that when Jesus came to the place... He went specifically to the place where the need was because he knew that man named Zacchaeus was there. How about the story of the maniac of Gadara? And when they came over to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tomb, a man with an unclean spirit. By the way, you read the context of that chapter, you realize Jesus went there just for that man. In fact, he went there, healed him, and left. He went to that whole place for one person. You know what Jesus did, folks? He went to where the need was at. You know what He wants for us to do as His children, as His disciples, as His followers? Go to where the need's at. Amen? He wants for us to condescend to men of low estate. So how to treat people with respect? Don't have too high an opinion about yourself. Condescend to men of low estate. Go to where the need's at. And He's got one more thing He wants for us to learn back in verse 16 of Romans chapter 12. Notice what it says. He ends with this statement on that verse, Be not wise in your own conceit. Be not wise in your own conceit. You know what that means is this. Don't think that wisdom comes from yourself. Amen? Or we can say it like this, have a teachable attitude. 
have a teachable attitude. Amen. Listen, folks, the Bible is very clear on the source of wisdom. And I'm going to tell you right now, God's wisdom doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from below. Amen. The Bible says, For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of His mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He's a butler to them that walk uprightly. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let, it, let him find it within himself. Is that what the Bible says? No, that's not what the Bible says. Hey, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Let me tell you, folks, hey, listen to me. If we're anything, once again, it's because God gives us the ability to be who we are. Amen? He gives it to us by His grace. But hey, aren't you thankful that there's a, a big supply of it available? I don't know about you folks, but I'll tell you right now, I don't have all the answers. Hey, Amen. In fact, you say, Pastor, are you, are you uh, on the train uh, conducting this thing? No, I feel like sometimes I'm just uh, hanging on to the caboose as a, as, as a train steaming down the tracks. Hey, Amen. Listen to me, I ain't got this thing all figured out. I don't have all the answers, but I know someone who does. Amen. I know who has the source of wisdom, and it comes from God. Amen. And listen, so let us not think it's us, okay? It's not our own conceits where the help comes from. It's from God. So how do you treat people right? Amen. How do you treat them with respect? How do you, as the Bible commands for us, to overcome evil by having the same mind one toward another? Well, you do it by not thinking uh, too high of your own self. You condescend to men of low estate, and you're not wise in your own conceits. Amen? Alright, let's look at the second verse here, verse 17. Notice the second principle we're going to talk about today as far as how to overcome evil. Notice what he says. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And here's the principle, you ready? Um, is this exactly what it says. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Hey, when you, when you face evil, when you have to face it, handle it biblically. Handle it biblically. By the way, evil is different than sin. Okay? Uh, everybody's a sinner. Alright? Nobody's getting away from that. By the way, I tell this to people often when I'm giving the gospel. You don't have to do anything to go to hell. In fact, if you don't do anything, you'll end up in hell. We are by default on the road to hell because of our sin nature. Amen? And you know what? Uh, everybody's a sinner, but there is a difference between sin and evil. And you can chase that all through the Scripture. And pretty much what evil is, evil is planned harm towards somebody. It's something that takes conniving. It's something that takes a plan. It's something that you think about, you ponder about, how you can do harm to somebody else. And folks, I would love to tell you, you're never going to face evil in life, but that's just simply not true. This is an evil world we're living in. And by the way, you're going to face it from the world because I'm going to tell you, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The world hates us. It hates us. And you know what, by the way, that's okay though. Amen. Hey, it hated him before it hated us. And it's not really us it hates. It's who's in us that it hates. Amen. So you're going to face evil from the world. But you know what? Truth be told, you're not just going to face it from the world. Sometimes you'll even face it from other Christians. And that's when it gets difficult to try to handle. Because I'm going to tell you right now, when you're faced with something, there's a reason God had to put these principles in the Scripture because we all want to do the same thing. I mean, our our hackles get up, our our, our self-defense mechanism starts kicking in, and you know what we want to do? We want to, whatever gets handed to us, we want to hand it right back. But that's not what the Bible says we're to do. What's he say about this, all right? How do you handle evil when it comes your way? Well, first of all, don't seek vengeance. Don't seek vengeance. 
Although vengeance on the surface may seem to be the answer, I'm going to tell you right now, vengeance never works out in the end. Never. Okay, there's a biblical example of that. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, if you remember the story of when um, Saul was king, and uh, Saul uh, had a, um, his captain of his host was a man named Abner. And Abner was with Saul, and then David took over, and then David's captain was Joab. Well, if you remember the story right, uh, there was, uh, uh, Joab had a brother named uh, Ashel. And Ashel, the Bible says, was very light on his feet. He could run fast. And he was pursuing after Abner. And Abner said to him, he says, listen to me. He says, uh, leave me alone, okay? I, I don't want to have to, you know, defend myself and kill you. Leave me alone. But Ashel wouldn't do it. He was young and he was dumb and he had a bravado attitude. And by the way, it cost him his life. Because Abner, out of self-defense, had to kill Ashel. Well, Joab, if you remember much about Joab... Man, Joab was a very interesting character, okay? Joab, for part of his, for part of the time, what, 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 did what he was supposed to do, what was a good follower, but a lot of times, man, he was a rogue, and uh, he really did some things he shouldn't have done. And here's, the, that's the background. Let me read the story to you now, okay? And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak unto him quietly. You know what? So Joab connived so he could get Abner alone. And here's what he did. And he smote him under the fifth rib that he died, for the blood of Ashel, his brother. Joab's pure motivation for this was revenge. Okay, that's the only reason he killed Abner. In fact, Abner had already made peace with King David and was trying to get things right between him and David and was on the path to doing that. But Joab couldn't stand it that Abner was still alive. And here's what the Bible says. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and all his father's house, and let none fail from the house of Joab, one that hath an issue, or that's a leper, that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner, because he had slain his brother Ashel at Gibeon in the battle. Okay, so here you go. Joab sought out revenge. Now, how did that work out for Joab? Well, I'll just say this. Fast forward to the end of the story, and here's what the Bible says. All right, I'll let the Bible speak for itself. First Kings chapter 2. Solomon now is taken over as king. In fact, David on his deathbed told Solomon to make sure that Joab uh, had to uh, account for that sin. And here's what it says in, in the first Kings chapter 2. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his seed forever. But upon David, upon his seed, upon his house, upon his throne, shall there be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah who was Solomon's uh, captain of his guard, the son of Jehoiada, went up, fell upon him, Joab, and slew him. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. Hey, listen to me. You know what the, the principle of all those verses I just read to you was? It doesn't pay to seek vengeance. It doesn't pay to seek vengeance. I know that's what our flesh wants, okay? And I know that, you know, uh, depending upon, you know, the circumstance and what happened, it may seem like the just thing. But let me just say this, folks. The Bible is very clear on this, that uh, vengeance is not what we as Christians ought to be seeking. In fact, look at the second phrase we find in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Now, that's an interesting statement. Rather give place unto wrath. Okay, if you look that word up, it kind of gives the idea of like a sword going in the sheath. Okay, give place. Or what he's saying is, put wrath up where it belongs. Okay, now folks, let me just say this. God made us, God made us who we are, God gave us, uh, gifted us with our emotions. 
Anger is not a sin. Let me say that again. Anger is not a sin. It's only a sin if it's used the wrong way. In fact, here's what the Bible says. Ephesians 4.26 Be ye angry. Okay, you know what God's saying? There are certain things you better be angry about. Be ye angry and sin not. Okay? So here's, here's the clarification. It's not wrong to be angry. Where we get into problems is when we're, our anger leads to sin. By the way, you know what? We ought to be angry when we sin against God. You ought, that ought to make you mad when you sin and you mess up and you shouldn't do what you're doing. You ought to get angry, but hey, get angry at yourself. Amen? We ought to be angry at our flesh when our flesh wins a battle instead of our spirit. Hey, I don't know about you, I get angry when the devil destroys somebody's life. That makes me mad. I'm telling you, I get angry at what the devil does. Hey, I get angry at the things God gets angry at. There's nothing wrong with anger, but you know what? We must use anger properly, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's never right to use anger to avenge yourself. In fact... We have a biblical illustration of Jesus being angry. Right? John chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And Jesus went in and just tried to sweet talk them out of there. Is that what the Bible tells us? Nope. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the chargers' money and overthrew the tables. And he said to them that sold doves, Take these things since, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remember that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eat me up. Amen. Listen to me. Jesus showed what the Bible calls righteous indignation. Amen? And you know what? Jesus got mad about something that should, he should have gotten mad about. And you know what? He displayed anger in a way that was right and proper and was done without sinning. And so folks, listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to be angry, but the Bible's very clear. Don't be angry in sin. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're angry and exact vengeance, then you're sinning. You're sinning. How about this, folks? Let God even the score. Notice what the rest of that verse says. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Okay, I say this, I say it often to remind us. Listen to me. Ain't nobody getting by with anything. Okay? Those wrongs and injustices that happen, all that that, that evil that people are involved in, and we look at and it seems like they're getting by with it, they're not getting by with it. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you, folks, God is keeping detailed records of what's happening. And He's not keeping detailed records for His sake. He's doing it for, for, for the sake of, 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 of sinners, evil people, and they stand before Him, and He judges them for their evil. Amen? I'm going to tell you, folks, nobody's getting by with it. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, For the great day of His wrath, talking about Jesus Christ, has come. Who shall be able to stand? Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, that thou shouldest give reward to thy servants, to prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Listen to me, folks. Hey, the Bible says the time of His wrath is going to come. The time. Let me just say right now, you know what? We're living in the age of grace, and for the most part, God is postponing His wrath, but it's not always going to be postponed. But you know what? I will say this. He is still judging, all right? And it may not be the way we think it ought to be, but I'm going to tell you, the God of heaven sees, the God of heaven knows, and God will even the score. So what do we do then, okay? 
Well, how are we supposed to handle it? Well, again, the Bible doesn't leave it up to uh, happen chance. He tells us what we ought to do. Look at verse 20 of Romans chapter 12. Here's what you're to do. Here's how you handle when someone wants to uh, uh, bring evil upon you. Here's what you do. When you want to exact vengeance, here's how you exact vengeance. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, all right, here's my chance. I'm ready, God. Here's what you're going to tell me to do. Feed him. What? If he thirst, put poison in his drink. Give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. That's almost a verbatim verse out of Proverbs chapter 25. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Listen to me. You want to overcome evil? All right? You want to be able to overcome and not be dominated by evil? Then treat your enemies right. The Bible says to treat them. If they're hungry, feed them. Right? If they're thirsty, give them to drink. Now, by the way, I always got to stop and say this because there's always a bunch of liberals out there that take verses like these and think that as Christians we're supposed to be pacifists, okay? Listen to me, folks. This isn't talking about protecting your family or yourself from physical harm. All right, I preached this from the pulpit, and I'll continue to preach it from the pulpit. Listen to me, folks. God is all about um, uh, self-defense, protecting yourself, protecting your family. God's all about that kind of stuff. Amen? I'm not talking about your life is in physical danger. I'm talking about the fact that, you know what? People just treat you in a way you don't like. Okay? And you want to, you know, here's what we do. Our way of vengeance is, uh, and, and, and sad, sad, sad to say, truth be told, our, our world, our society is giving people platforms now to get on social media and trash people and say a bunch of stupid stuff. And we just get in there and start spouting off because, well, that's what they did to me. Let me tell you, folks, that's not the right way to handle it. And by the way, if you handle it that way, you're not overcoming evil. Evil's overcoming you. That's what the Bible says. Amen? That's not riserology. That's Bibleology. All right. So how are you going to overcome evil? Number one, be of the same mind one toward another. Treat others with respect. Number two, recompense no man evil for evil. Notice what he says in verse 18. Number three, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live, live peaceably with all men. Here's the principle. If all possible, be a peacemaker. If all possible, be a peacemaker. Now listen, the goal is to live peaceably. That's the goal. But isn't it interesting that God gives us an out? You realize it's not always to live peaceably with all men because we can't control the actions of other people. Here's the attitude as Christians we ought to have. You ready? I will do everything biblically to live peaceably with all men. But I understand sometimes it will not be possible based upon their actions. That's Bible. Amen? Let me say that again. I will do everything biblically to live peaceably with all men. But understand, there's times it will not be peaceable, uh, possible based upon their actions. Amen? And listen to me, folks. We can't control what other people do or don't do. We can't, we can't control how people react to certain situations. All we can control is us. You say, well, why is it that, that uh, God says if it be, be possible? Well, I'll tell you why. Because some people won't listen to reason. That's why. Some people are irrational that you just can't reason with them. And by the way, folks, if somebody's made up their mind to be unreasonable, you're probably not going to change it. By the way, God's really not in the business for the most part of changing people's minds just to change them. I'm not saying He can't. 
I'm not saying when we pray for people, God can't work on somebody's heart. But I'll just say this. God doesn't just come down and reprogram people's mind unless they want to repent and they want to turn to Him. I wish it would work that way, but guess what? It ain't the way life is. 2 Kings chapter 14, listen to these verses. Then Amaziah sent uh, messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look one another in the face. Okay, so here's what you have. You got the, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, alright? The king of Judah, Amaziah, just won a battle. Because of that battle, he was lifted up in pride. And he wanted to flex his muscles against Jehu, king of Israel. I'm sorry, against Jehoaz, king of Israel. He said, Let, let's come, let's look one another in the face. It's almost like, hey man, I just won this battle, I'm going to come and now I'm going to deal with you. Thou hast indeed, and here's what, here's what the response was from Jehoaz. Thou hast indeed smitten Edom, and thy heart hath lifted thee up. Glory of this, and tarry at home. For why shouldest thou meddle to thy hurt, that thou shouldest fall, even thou and Judah with thee? But Amaziah would not hear. You know what that said? He wouldn't listen to reason. I mean, listen, Jehoaz did not want to have to do anything to Amaziah. He says, listen to me. Yes, you want a battle. So stay at home, be proud you want a battle, but leave me alone. But you know what? The Bible says he would not hear. Therefore Jehoaz, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, listen, looked one another in the face at Bashemas, which belonged to Judah. Okay, oh yeah, he got what he wanted, but here's what the next verse says. And Judah was put to the worst before Israel, and they fled every man to their tents. So you know what you find out here? You find that a person tried to be a peacemaker, but you know what? It wasn't possible because the other person involved just had to have drama. And folks, I'm just going to say right now, again, listen to me. There's only so much you can do to make peace. Okay? But if another person doesn't want peace, then your hands are clear of that. Because you can't make anybody do anything. So listen to me, quit driving yourself crazy if you've tried to make peace and the other person doesn't want peace. Listen, you're relinquished of any responsibility of what a person does or doesn't do. You've tried, amen? Listen, you've got Bible to stand on. If it be possible as much as life in you, guess what? Sometimes it's not possible. There's been situations in my life before. I'll be honest with you, my personality, all right, here's what I like to say, I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby, amen? You know, I would rather make the peace. I, I personally don't like confrontation. I have to make myself be confrontational. It's just by nature, not who I am. And you know what? I'd rather make peace. And there's been certain situations in my life where I've had to confront somebody because of an ought and do just what the Bible says, go to that person. And you know what? I tried to work it out. They didn't want to work it out. They still wanted to stir the pot. They still wanted drama. And you know what? I had to release myself from that situation because I did everything I could to make peace, but they didn't want it. By the way, you've got to learn how to deal with that kind of stuff. And by the way, you've got to learn how to deal with it in your own personal life so it won't drive you crazy. Amen? Because if at all possible, be a peacemaker. But you can't be a peacemaker if people won't listen to reason. By the way, you know another reason you won't be able to make peace? Because some people don't understand your dedication to Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles. I want you to see this passage. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And folks, listen, I know I'm just, you know, kind of doing more of maybe a, a Sunday night, Thursday night Bible study on this, but these are good Bible principles we need. Amen? And this will help you overcome evil. Hey, this will help you get the victory when evil wants to overcome you. And notice what the Bible says, Matthew chapter 10. These are the words of our Savior. 
Amen? I wish people who try to portray Jesus in this society and the way they try to portray Him would read more than just a couple chapters of the Gospels when they try to portray Him. I mean, people have a messed up version of God and of Jesus because they take Scripture out of context or don't read all the Scripture and compare Scripture with Scripture. Okay? I've often said this. Listen, Jesus ain't some homeboy looking to hang out and be everybody's pal. That's not Jesus of the Bible. Okay? Listen, did He love sinners? Yes. Did He spend time with people and show compassion on people? Yes. But He also said things like this. You there? Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Thank not... I am come to send peace on earth. I am not come to send peace, but a sword. How come nobody wants to talk about that, Jesus? For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I'm going to tell you, you're not going to find that Jesus preached in most of these contemporary churches that dot the landscape of the United States of America. You're not going to find that Jesus preached. You know why? Because it doesn't fit with their lifestyle, that's why. Because let me tell you what Jesus said. You know what? Because of your belief in me and your dedication to me, there's going to be some people who don't get you, who think you're crazy. Here's what they like to say. You belong to a cult, you're a legalist. That's the big terms that get thrown out there. By the way, it's amazing to me that people that say that stuff can't really even define what they really mean. Okay, they're just repeating things they hear on social media, okay? Now listen to me, folks. Jesus Christ, dedication to Him, I promise you, will cause a division. You better believe it will. Amen? And a lot of times, you know where that division happens? In blood family. That's what he said. I didn't say it. He did. I'm come to divide a variance, a a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother. You know what he's saying? He says, listen listen to me. If you have complete dedication to me, there's going to be certain relationships that get severed. That's what he's saying. And by the way, look at the last thing he saith. He said, man, that's pretty harsh. I thought God's about family. He is about family, but He's not about family more than He's about us relationship with Him. Let me just remind you something, okay? Let me blow holes in this new evangelical uh, philosophy that's floating around here, okay? Family is not number one. (gasps) Heresy! Heresy! No, Bible, Bible. You know what number one is? He says it right here. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, you know what the Bible says? God's number one. That's what the Bible says. So that means if you put your family above God, guess what your family's just turned into? Idol. Man, pretty quiet in here, isn't it? Amen? That's okay. Listen, if you walk out of this church feeling comfortable, you're in the wrong church. Amen? You're going to hear things sometimes that challenge our philosophies that get spouted all throughout the society we're living in. Listen, folks, this is Bible, amen? God says, no Christian, family's not number one, I'm number one. And if that means it costs you family relationships, it's worth the price! Because your relationship with me is the number one relationship ought to be in your life. Oh, you know what I have found out pretty interesting? Is if you will choose God, especially within your own immediate family, you know, and I'm not saying at times it's not going to happen what Jesus said would happen here. But you know what I found out is this. You choose God and you follow passionately after God, most of the time family will follow. 
especially we men. Amen. Now, now there are there are there are exceptions to this. I've heard of exceptions to this. Okay, but all I'm going to say is this: if it came down to it, yeah, you need to choose God over your family. That's hard preaching, by the way. But you know what? That's Bible preaching, and that is what God expects from us. And so all back to where the point we were going, listen, if it's possible to be a peacemaker, be a peacemaker, but sometimes you can't because people won't understand your dedication to Jesus Christ. They won't understand that. Listen to me, folks. The world does not understand this kind of dedication. Okay? Carnal Christianity does not understand this kind of dedication. Carnal Christianity thinks that all God's concerned about is our well-being and comfort. Let me tell you, God's not concerned as much concerned with our well-being and comfort as He is His will being done. That's what he's concerned about. Amen? And by the way, a lot of Christians have gone before us and have had to sacrifice well-being, comfort, and yes, even family to accomplish the will of God. I'm going to tell you though, if that happens, there'll be no regrets in eternity one of these days. No regrets. But there will be a lot of regrets from people who make excuses and, and, and live a lukewarm Christian life that makes Jesus Christ want to puke instead of saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And so listen to me, folks. We're talking about overcoming evil. Amen? Overcoming evil. So how do we do it according to what we've learned today? Number one, be of the same mind one toward another. Treat other people with respect. Number two, recompense no man evil for evil. Number three, if all possible, be a peacemaker. Now I've given you, through as we've gone through chapter 12, we've been preaching through it most of the year, okay? So not quite every Sunday, but, but most Sundays we've been preaching through this. I've, I didn't even count them up. I probably ought to go back and count them up. But I've probably given you at least 20 to 25 different things that you can practically do to overcome evil. Okay, so don't tell me next time you're struggling and you're battling that you don't know what to do. The Bible tells you what to do. Amen? Listen, our problem is we just don't want to do what the Bible says. We want to make excuses. We want God to give us an easy out. And by the way, sometimes, you know what? God's will for us is to face things in difficult situations. By the way, it's, it's through the difficulties you get to find God the way you've never found Him before. Amen? Sometimes we want God to move a mountain. God says, I don't want to move a mountain. I want you to go over the mountain. I want you to go around the mountain. I want you to tunnel under the mountain. Hey, listen to me. I'll help you. I'll give you the strength. But that's there for a reason, for a purpose. Amen? And so all that to say, church, listen to me. Let's put these principles to play. Amen? Romans chapter 12, how to overcome evil. Let's pray. Lord, we love you.